Hello everyone and welcome back to the Jack Hughes podcast after a few weeks off. We're now back, plenty of content over the next few weeks. Today I've got John Harrison with me. John is a colleague of mine. We've been working together for over 18 months now and in fact he was in the Royal Navy for five years. So the reason I wanted to speak to John today is we spend a lot of time speaking in, uh, in Navy language or Jack speak and I thought it was a good opportunity to get his insight on his own resettlement because he left um, about 12 years ago so a time where there was no LinkedIn the CTP probably wasn't as um, f- fluid and set up as it is now so so yeah, John, hello Hello, thanks Jack It's alright, so it's different today so we've actually got a conversation in the room just got our, our teas in so yeah, what? tell us a bit about yourself um, your journey from the Navy to what you're doing now if possible Oh gosh, uh, seems a very very long time ago now uh, when did I join the Navy? I joined in May 2000 uh, and left in September, October 2005. So, yeah, 13 years I've, I've nearly been out. And you were a mine warfare officer? Yeah, yeah. Um, I joined the Navy for action and adventure, um, and uh, my first compliment appointment I was a gunnery officer on a Sandown class mine hunter, so I spent a lot of time opening the captain's mail for him, uh, uh, or exploring the envelope, as I used to like to call it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, auditing the senior rates uh, mess books, and then uh, categorically said, "I'm not a sailor. I don't want to be on flat-bottomed small ships anymore. Please don't send me on a mine warfare officer's course." Uh, and um, yeah, I, I was then sent on a MWOS course. <laughs> so pretty much decided that the navy was not for me because uh, I was not a sailor, not a man of the sea. Prefer to be on uh, uh, dry land. Uh, yeah, so uh, five five years in the navy, two 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 jobs uh, as an officer, um, and then yeah, left. Uh, with no real plan of what to do other than uh, genuinely not to be seasick. That is the reason why I left. I was a terrible sailor. Um, I wanted to do uh, just something uh, land-based. Um, yeah, um, leaving, resettlement. What was my resettlement? Um, I got a train ticket home. Really? which was no use to me from the UPO took my uh, gas mask back handed that in and a few other bits of kit that I wasn't entitled to keep can't exactly what, what, what remember what they were um, yeah uh, handed my respirator in and was given a, a, a rail warrant to get some tickets home which was really good because um, I had my car with me <laughs> Andy. So yeah, somebody at the uh, UPO in Neptune um, uh, uh, then took the rail warrant off and came back with a, I can't remember what the forms were, you used to get those big blue forms and it had a big red cross across it if it was coming out of 2SL's budget or something like that, okay. I remember doing many of those. But yeah, that, that, that was pretty much it. Oh, and I went to the dentist. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, one of the things when I I, I, I left was um, one of the reasons why I should stay in the Navy, and this was from a commander, a commander of a mine warfare squadron. Uh, his uh, said, well, you won't get free dental care in Civvy Street. It wasn't wrong, to be fair. No, he says true, but I mean, yeah, I, I just sort of thought, well, you know what, if that's the best you got. And um, yeah, so yeah, I went to that, uh, had um, uh, handed the kit that I had to hand back in um, and went to um, the dentist. So you had no sort of no, four weeks before you no, focused on bicycle no, career transition workshop. No, no which I think I was a bit of a, um, I, I don't know, a special case is the right word. The ship was deploying to um, the Baltic uh, and I really didn't want to go. I can't, you know, explain to people how bad my seasickness was mm. I sort of were going off a bit of a tangent no, here sorry. sound like I'm moaning um, I, I really couldn't cope um, I remember going across because we used to go across round the top of Scotland straight across the North Sea to uh, somewhere like Stavanger yeah. um, and I remember going on that trip a few months prior to that um, and not being able to keep bridge watch keep watches because I was just being so uh, sick I think the problem is as well, you don't really realise how seasick an individual can get. You know, people go, oh, why do you run the Navy if you get seasick? You don't, you're never in you the... Don't, well, you don't if know, if you, oh, you're on an aircraft carrier. Yeah, and you'd be didn't, didn't even know we'd set. I remember going uh, to the to, to, to the ski, RN Ski Champs, which um, was probably the most fun I had in the, in the Royal Navy. Um, and we left Portsmouth, and I remember the captain of the ferry saying there was a 4-7 gale coming up uh, the channel. And I was just like, oh, yeah. I don't believe this. I'm going to barf all the way across. And do you know what? We went out into it. I didn't even know we'd sailed. That's how, you know, and going across the channel in a big ship is not a problem, but I was not suited to uh, no. to, to the vomit comet, um, as I used to say. So, so you've been to the dentist, you've handed in, you've done your stamp around the doctor. Yeah, so basically the reason why that happened was just sort of backtracking was um, I, I basically uh, refused to, to, to go cross the North Sea again uh, I said I'm, I'm, I'm not going um, but that went down well uh, well it's funny you say that because I, no- I had my notice in uh, and you know you had to write a formal letter in those days I don't think I think now I think they were just transitioning to OJARS or whatever it was at the time so going back on that yeah. point can you pinpoint the time when you thought You've explained at the beginning that they were going to send you on a mine warfare officer's course. Was that the tipping point? Was that the point where you thought, right, I'm handing them over? So was there a build-up, or was there a moment where you thought, no, this is time? Uh, yeah, I knew at the end of my first job. Well, no, I'll be honest with you. Um, genuinely, uh I think it was within about maybe about two weeks of doing my my, my first job. Um, it's honest. That was what two thousand and two. Uh, I realised this wasn't uh, wasn't for you. wasn't wasn't for me. Um, so yeah, so I had these awkward moments where well, well, basically, I, I told I think I told uh, plenty of um, uh, commanding officers 
that I had, when you had to do your old what jobs do you want to do next and all that sort of stuff was you know I, I'm just going to hand my notice in when it gets to the point where I can hand my notice in yeah. Um, so yeah it came to uh, summer 2004 when I could have handed my notice in I think so so that was two years from when I completed my JWO course so that would have been my 12 months that, that 2004 would have been a 12 months notice so I'd done my three years return of service leaving in 2005 and JWO Junior Warfare Junior Officer. Warfare Officers course or X course or whatever it was called at the, uh, at the time um, however um, summer 2004 I bought a house so um I didn't go and hand my notice straight in straight away. I had to have a little think about it. Yeah. Um, um, and um, so, again, a bit of a crazy situation. I, I had to go around the, uh, using a jack, bit of jack speak here, round the boy again on my um, MWOS course, because I did fail it, because I didn't want to do it. Yeah. So they sent me around the boy again, um, which basically meant sort of a few holdovers and a few sort of little bit of time on a sand down again doing some mine hunting before going back and doing um, the last four weeks of the MWOS course again mm-hmm. um, and yeah it, it uh, I went away on holiday at Christmas uh, 2004 and had a chat with my girlfriend at the time um, and handed my handed my notice in when I got back so leaving, uh, they were going to send me on a deployment three months before. So it was sort of summer leave. I'd been away on summer leave in in, in the August, um, and they were going to send me on a trip to the Baltic. Yeah. Um, and then literally, because I'd done so little time, it would have just just been a case of you're in the Baltic one day, fly home, you're a civvy the next. So I said, look, I don't want to go to the Baltic. I'm not really interested in being an MWO it's not the career for me mm. um, I want to do something else um, I don't want to go because I get seasick uh, and um, I remember like you said it went. <laughs> it didn't go down very well with anybody um, again going to sound like a right job's worth here um, basically said right well I'm going to go get legal advice about this um, uh, went and saw the base uh, the civvy solicitor on the base um, and came back, said that I'd seen the solicitor on the base, and then basically got told, well, if you write a letter saying that you want to speed up your release, um, this is what you need to put in it. Um, I remember writing a letter in the morning in the squadron office up at Neptune, being sent home, and effectively I was paid until the end of the month. I can imagine during that time as well, emotional intelligence... <clears throat> and empathy that you know they, they, those words are spread around the internet like, um, like buzzwords emotion, at the in 2005 people didn't talk about emotional intelligence no. and certainly if you were in the military uh, you weren't uh, emotional <laughs> about anything um, it was just quite matter of fact really um, so yeah hand, handed it in so I remember the resettlement for up there was in Rosyth mm. so um, I had a few trips up to <coughs> Rosyth um, so what was your plan? You, 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 know, you, you knew you were gonna. You, you knew you weren't gonna get much resettlement because the time you'd served. I, I didn't have a plan, honestly. No. I'd, I'd no, I'd no plan other than I didn't have to wake up on something that was moving. 
or keep middle watches and throw up down the side of the ship. I had no plan. If it all, all my plan was, you ain't going to be seasick again. <laughs> it was literally my plan. That sounds pretty, you know, jokes aside. You must have been suffering to, to get to that yeah, 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 I was. To leave with absolutely no and, plan. Yeah, and, and to be honest, pe- you know, pe- am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, yeah. yeah people just didn't give a shit. You know, you pay to do a job. Um, do it. Well, hang on, I've just vomited on the chart whilst I'm trying to put a fix on. <laughs> I remember being on Fost. We were off somewhere off, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe we were going over to Northern Ireland or something like that, and I remember throwing up on uh, N's feet a guy called Gus Young. He was a really nice bloke. I think he went off to be the Jimmy of HMS Edinburgh. He was a top bloke. He said, you're not really cut out for this, are you? I was like, no. I just don't want to be here. Uh, I, I, I think one of the reasons I think I wanted to translate our conversations into this content was the honesty. And I think the, pe- the conversations X Forces have together, you know, are a lot more honest and authentic. Yeah. And, but they don't get broadcast because it's seen as a bit of a. I don't know, is it weakness? I know people might have had the mindset of, you know, oh, you just can't handle it. But yeah. it's not that. It's making me feel violently ill. My morale's on the floor. I just don't want to fucking be here. So why why make it why go through that yeah. being happy? No one's helped no one sound it sounded like no one was like trying to help you get off that you know, that career path you were on. So what what choice did you have? Yeah. But anyway, so I, I, and, and again, I'm going to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm whinging here again, but I, I saw an opportunity to, to, to get out and do do something different. I mean, I asked if I could do my um, things like my AIB for, for, for the Marines, which I was told I couldn't. And again, to be honest, a lot of it was I just couldn't be bothered. I really had no interest in, unfortunately, in a career in the military because it was just not what I expected. You know, I thought we'd be out fast, rope, uh, fast roping, you know, out of the back of helicopters, leading boarding parties to to you know drug bus, d- drug bus stuff. and stuff like that. And I know that sounds very naive, but when you're a testosterone fueled sort of t- you know eighteen, nineteen year old, you know early twenties, that's that's what you you, you don't you don't realise. And this is where, and this is going to sort of become relevant, not going off at a tangent. You don't realise that actually the military is 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 a big business. And there are people that need to keep the books. There are people that need to do HR. Marketing. There are people, yeah, you know, we've got marketing, we've got teams that, that, that go off and sell the Navy. There was an RM presentation team. I, I, I did apply to us to do that, didn't get it. You would have been the worst person to do it. No, I would have been good because I'd have been shoreside. Now, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I've done presentation. One of the things I like to think that the Navy taught me is the confidence to give presentations and talk to people. So you could have bullshitted anyone who's doing it. So I could have bullshit. I could have told you the Navy was the best thing to, to, to do, regardless, yeah. you know, I've had the worst job, but if I'm on a presentation team, going around, staying in hotels, on dry land, then, yeah, I... I you would be living I, the dream. I'd be 110% Navy. But you give me the reality of, you know, fishery protection or transit into a minefield in a four six seven gale in a sand down it, you know keeping a middle watch yeah. it, that you know that's not what I wanted to do so um, I very quickly found out that the Navy was and particularly if you're an officer you know as an officer you ain't doing any of this you're going to plan it 
and then the lads are going to do it yeah they're the guys that are going to be carrying the pistols and the rifles and fast roping out of the helicopters you're going to be stood on the bridge wing making sure that you know they've got three points of contact at all time on a ladder and they're wearing multi-flap suits so you know if they do fall into balmy Mediterranean waters they're not going to get hypothermia um, so all of that stuff um, you know I didn't do so so when I did leave I found that the general public don't realise that the Navy is not just about you know chasing up the stuff that they see in the adverts that you get sold there is you know you've got to balance books you've got to look after cash I mean I remember being a gunnery officer I, I joked about it earlier you know opening the captain's mail and stuff but I, I, I was given I was in charge of I think the equivalent of £50,000 worth of hard cash in a safe that I used to have to muster you know because again you used to swap it in and used to yeah the lads had a good exchange rate so they would come down and they would write checks and stuff like that and you would give them the best exchange rate for uh, and this was I think the first deployment I did was it before the euro um, had come into force? So you go around the Mediterranean, and it's not just the euro. It, 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 well, there was no euro. You, if you went to Spain, pesetas. you're using pesetas. Then you go to Italy, lira. You go to Portugal, whatever they use, Portuguese, pesos, whatever it is. Yeah, France, francs, Turkey, uh, any, anything goes in Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, so all of that. So you've got to do all the exchange rates and balance this stuff out. And, and, and there's no Excel spreadsheet for it because you have to do it longhand in, 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 in a book with a calculator. And I can hell, if you were like a couple of quid out or something like that, you, you know. Get demoted. Yeah, when, when you, we, I remember getting spot checks, you know, the, the, the base, the people from the whatever they were back at base, you know, would fly out. Oh, right, HMS such and such is in, you know, Malta for the weekend. That sounds good. We'll go out and we'll give the you know fucking gunnery officer a load of crap because he's lost fifty seven pence in exchange rates and stuff like that. Um, so all of this stuff would be going on, and you'd be running projects because you know you've got a schedule to keep to. You've got to make sure that you know the ship is on on, on task for this, and you're doing exercises. Mm. If your ship's not there on time, you know all the other units have cleared off and you, you're in you're in, the, in trouble so you, you build up all of this um, a, a, a experience uh, of stuff that you know projects that you've got to deliver report you're writing reports on people you know as, a, as an officer um, I had eight junior rates in my division uh, and basically I'm you know taking them on their, their, their career care. in the navy Guys that are doing OU degrees and stuff like that, because again, on a small ship, being an officer on a small ship, you double up in, in many roles. And I was the education and resettlement officer, so I was looking after guys that were doing like OU courses. There were lads that were doing maths, GCSE. So you got all this pastoral care as well. So knowing the sort of role you're yeah. in now, which we'll go on to, did you? know about all these transferable skills or have you just realised over the years like fucking hell I used to do that in the Navy like well you- it's, it's it's when I, I, I got into into Civvy Street so I, I left pretty abruptly it was literally go home you'll get paid to the end of the month yeah so we'll go and from you there got, you, you got you got, got the train got, back you, you got, got, sorry drove back because the train tickets yeah. are no, no good to me um, and I, I needed a job well I was earning what two thousand and five uh, officer 
mid £30,000. So a lot of sort of my peers and my friends who, when I joined the Navy, mm. were becoming accountants or lawyers or stuff like that, and they were getting paid a similar wage in those sort of early early 2000s. But for me to get a wage like that, I needed to be a lawyer with three or four years experience. I needed to be an accountant who passed all their exams with a couple of years experience. Um, I didn't have any of those professional qualifications. Um, so I think I just got a temp, temp job somewhere just whilst I was looking, just so I had a bit of money coming in. But we were talking like, you know, I think maybe about five or six pounds an hour. So going back, yeah. so you were an officer and then yeah. a lieutenant, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, so what I see now, not as much over the last year or so, is a lot of officers especially, and it's no, you know... You know, officers are officers, ratings are ratings. It's not that sort of thing what I'm trying to get across. But there is an attitude of, uh, sometimes that officers and, you know, senior NCOs have this attitude of they, they expect, because they've had a certain rank in the military, they they expect to walk into a job. Did, is that anything you suffered from, or did you come yeah, back? Yeah, I didn't. I, so I'll tell you how I, I, I saw it was... I certainly didn't expect to walk into a job. What I thought I would get was so I thought when I, I went back to, to, to Leeds which is is where I was from and I'd been given the contact details of the local resettlement officer or something like that and I remember having a phone call with him and basically he told me this is this genuine it's the only contact I had with him um, was um, well the jobs uh, uh, are in the Yorkshire Evening Post on Thursday night cheers mate yeah thanks I, I know that I, I've lived in Leeds all my life I think I got my first job stacking shelves in Tesco's bar yeah. advert in the Yorkshire Evening Post um, so yeah and again what you were talking about there was no LinkedIn there was no nothing jobs were still advertised in, in, in the paper did you have a CV? Um, yeah I had a, I, I had a CV um, and that was uh Again, I was lucky. My girlfriend at the time sort of helped me tweak it. I had no, there was no, I didn't do a CV writing workshop or anything. So there was like no that. CTP workshop? I, I think there was. I just don't think um, I, I used any of it really yeah. um, because I just wanted to get away from it all. Yeah, um, so I didn't really use it. I think I was allowed, there was maybe an allowance of maybe about 700 quid or something to go do a course. But, you know, as an example, if you wanted to do a Prince 2 course in 2005 to become a project manager, which, you know, a generic project manager, as I've since found out, the skills that you are taught as a warfare officer in the Navy mm. lean very well towards. Um, but I didn't know any of that at the time. You know, a Prince 2 course was like 1,500 quid. So it wouldn't have even covered the cost of, cost of that. So what was your first job after leaving? Um, so my first job, so I had a few temping jobs where I basically just did like admin and stuff like that um, and always got commented on about how efficient I was and <laughs> could do stuff very quickly and yeah. turned up on time and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I was really stuck for stuff to do because like I say, you know, to get a job paying the equivalent sort of mid-30s salary um, I, I didn't have the experience I wasn't a, an, enge an engineer an accountant or a, a lawyer um, I started looking at like office admin jobs like office manager jobs because I'd run the ship's office yeah. you know 
You do but, have small ships, don't you? Yeah, you do. Um, but again, you know, nothing. I would send my CV off to, to, to 10 places or apply for jobs. I wouldn't even get a phone call back or anything like mm. that. It's just like my application just went into into no, nowhere. Um, and again, hard copy applications, you know, very... You know, places I was applying to something didn't even have websites and stuff yeah. like that. It was stuff that I'd found in, in newspapers or, or by word of mouth. Um, and I was really, really struggling. And the sort of... Um, and I go see recruitment agencies so that was the other thing you did you just phoned up recruitment agencies I remember sitting with the yellow pages just going through all like Hayes and uh, Reed mm. and all the various other people and, and, and going in and the recruitment agent would give you about an hour or something like that half an hour or something and you would tell them what you did and I don't think there, there were a couple of things that they couldn't Grasp what you had done, and I'm going to sound maybe a little bit sexist here, but they were usually sort of women in their sort of late twenties, early thirties, um, who had probably done something similar to that or worked in a call centre. I'm not being sexist here; I'm just saying what I saw at the time, um, and they could not grasp what, as a 28 year old, I I had seen done because. Yeah. You know, you're working in a job where one minute you could be doing a gunnery shoot with half a dozen other ships firing high explosive rounds uh, at, at, at targets, and then the next minute you could be writing a disciplinary report because steward whatever he's done again was always at the captain's table getting a bollocking. Yeah. You know, and you're his legal representation there. And then you might have to go down and muster the chief's books. Uh, and then you might have to go conduct a man overboard exercise, mm. all in the space of six hours. I think, thankfully, and stuff like that has improved now, but it's good to get that. And, I think the biggest thing about this conversation is exposing the fact that there is so many, so much more opportunity now and so many more resources yeah. than there was, what, 12 years ago. And it's it's good to get that perspective of someone like you who, yeah. whether you whether whether you chose to use it or not, there was still a vast gap in where we are today. So yeah. I, I appreciate the honesty, and I think everyone else will as well. So yeah, so I, I literally had um, I had no support. I, I've never had any contact other than um, a few mates. Yeah of mine that I've still seen in the, in the Navy and to be honest now um, I can keep in touch with, with anybody maybe like one or two people on Facebook um, I, I have had no contact with the Navy from, from, from when I left um, I had one conversation with a local resettlement officer um, like I said jobs in the Yorkshire Evening Post on a Thursday night uh, and that, that, that was it so pretty much did all the rest of it myself and um, so it got to Christmas and I was getting getting nowhere. I was just temping, just doing admin jobs, a little bit of finance jobs, earning five, six pounds an hour. Mm. Um, really starting to get worried about not being able to pay the uh, pay, pay my mortgage. Um, and then um, I, I think I was on my way home from work and I just stopped off in uh, an Aldi store. Um, uh, and, and there was a big advert saying recruiting um, s- store managers 
uh, or, uh, uh, and deputy store managers. Um, and I thought, well, I worked in Tesco's for a year. Why not? Why, why not? Um, so I sent my CV in. Again, not particularly tailored to retail. Sort of, um, I've been in the military. Uh, I sent my CV in, and within 48 hours, I was sat in front of an area manager talking about what I could offer them. Yeah. A week later, two weeks later, um, I was at an interview at their regional head office. A uh, week after that, I, I had a job with them. Um, it's funny how things just come up. It place, is, it, it is. Um, yeah, and I started work with them at the end of January. So, uh, and they all, and and they gave me a wage that was equivalent to to being in in, in the Royal Navy. Yeah, um, and they liked ex-military people. Um, I'm basically the founders of Aldi, the Albrecht brothers. Um, their previous employer before they set up um, Aldi was the uh, Wehrmacht <laughs> they'd both been German soldiers in the Second World War and they set up a, a you know a shop yeah. uh, after that cash only because obviously nobody had credit they wanted hard currency yeah. in, in the late Germany in the late 40s 50s um, and they set up um, Aldi and Aldi's management manual um, is an old Wehrmacht um, field manual it's an old German army um, section officer or platoon leaders how to manage your men just basically translated into business speak oh, fair enough oh. so um, yeah so um, I, I, I got a job with Aldi um, I think being in the Navy was a career mistake um, really then I made my next career mistake which was joining Aldi <laughs> um, so I worked for them for three and a half months it was um, horrible Um really really horrible um, talk about Lean Manning uh, and being yeah um, yeah so again transferable skills so running an office running a supermarket logistics all that sort of stuff um, did it for about three and a half months a um, lot of pressure people have probably been in Aldi stores you're running a big big section whereas if I'd have been at Tesco's there'd probably been about 12 or 14 people running a, a section that size stacking shelves doing everything um, yeah, um, I, I got caught out on too many occasions by secret shoppers because um, you've got to get stuff through the till so quickly. Yeah, yeah. They send in secret shoppers, um, particularly when um, you're new, and they sort of hide stuff. They do the old Richard Madeley trick of, um, oh, I've just left the wine bottles down the side of the trolley where you can't see them yeah. as you go through the till. <laughs> Bottleneck thing. Um, so I got hauled up for that a couple of times um, uh, and then also again people I've seen you know people complain about how fast stuff goes through the, the, the tills at, um, uh, at, at Aldi and Little and places like that and again as a manager you've got to go on the tills you've got to do, do everything which I think you know when I told them I'd been on small ships and you had to do everything they, they saw that as they were good at seeing the transferable skills was it a match for me no I'm not criticising Aldi I just didn't yeah. it was not me um, I can see why they take uh, military people and I met um, when I went on sort of induction courses um, uh, a couple of guys who had been like ex-sergeants in the army and stuff um, and, and uh, as either store managers or deputy store managers um, so yeah so I did that and, and again literally handed my notice in uh, and left with no with no plan 
Um, so ju- before we get on to where you know how you got into project management and what you do now during this time what, what were your family saying to you what were they thinking were they, uh, wor- they worried do you think um, um, I, I don't know I don't know I, I don't really uh, I don't want to go into the whole psychological thing of relationships with my uh, parents no. um, we're not that deep on here mate no <laughs> I, I don't know I, I, I don't think I, I'm going to pre- reveal too much here is uh, you know unless I was a barrister stroke brain surgeon I don't think I've met my mum's expectations oh, in yeah. life fair enough and I'd have to be doing both. I couldn't be one or the other. I would have to be a barrister that was also a brain surgeon. Yeah. Um, uh, my dad uh, was a sales director. Um, basically, as long as you're making money, he defines success by money. Um, so as long as you've got money, you know, who cares? Yeah. So. All right, fair enough. So, so you, yeah. you're in the Navy. You temped for a bit after you left. Yeah. Tried Aldi. How did you end up? into project management oh right so here we go so project management so I really again second time around I'd left um, uh, with with no sort of plan what I was going to do and again just I'd gone back to temping because I I literally left I was in still in my probationary period at Aldi so it was like literally um, a week's notice Uh, and they just let me let me go that day and paid me to the end of the week um, I might add I stopped a shoplifter though that day and they didn't say thank you so that pretty much made up my mind um, yeah. a shoplifter that had nicked um, a flat screen 22 inch flat screen monitor got it back off him got a bit of a kick in off his mates but I got it back uh, uh, got told off by the area manager who came in for being sort of a bit dishevelled because my shirt had been ripped um, anyhow, so yeah, so I left, uh, felt it was good to be um, uh, uh, away from them. Again, no plan, did a little bit of temping, applied for, for, for jobs. Um, a, a friend recommended applying to the local authorities because she said that there were a few military people that she knew of that had yeah, yeah. transitioned to, 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 to local authority. Um, so uh, I just applied applied to Leeds City Council Wakefield uh, City Council Bradford City Council heard nothing and then one day out of the blue after having sent off application forms maybe sort of six, eight weeks and not heard anything and this is the thing part of the soul destroying stuff was just not hearing anything not getting any feedback did knock your confidence? Uh, Yes, yeah, I suppose it did at the time. So not getting any feedback about what what I was doing wrong. Showed CVs to friends, so I was getting you know external input into it, and mm. you know they didn't really know what what to do. Um, got a phone call back from Bradford City Council saying, "Look, can you come for an interview? We're we're really sorry that um, we've not got back to you. It's just been really hectic." Uh, I went for a job in the environmental services division at Bradford City Council just as an admin officer role to do maternity cover um, got in um, and the actual job that was handed over to me I could do it in about half an hour every day, it was all sorts of stuff it varied from sorting out people's expenses, I was good at that I definitely do, a theme I, isn't that? I used to do all the travel expenses and stuff like that in the, in the ship's office when I was in the Navy sort that out, um, I ended up doing cover for um, the PAs for the um, head of department and the director as well which they were really impressed that I was good at again 
because I'd done that for captains of warships. Yeah. Um, I, I would also look at letters and draft correspondence, and stuff would come to me uh, that I had to, 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 to send out to uh, places because environmental health do a lot of... Um, you know companies wanting to, to sell you know build like a smelting plant or something like that or yeah. Domino's Pizza wanting to sell so lots of letters go out and they sort of came through the admin officers desk from the environmental health officers um, and I looked at them and said well you can't you can't send that out yeah. there's spelling mistakes all over it it's not paginated properly you know it, it's just you've written a letter that looks like this you've written a letter that looks like this you talk about corporate branding it's not standardised so I would go through that sort letters out change them correct them and then send them out properly write letters for some of the guys uh, get them sent out so is this where you got recognised yeah so I started to get get recognised for, 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 for doing stuff and it, there suddenly there's some, the, the, there became a thing where if, if you want something doing that obviously is not related to it I'm not an environmental health officer but if you wanted something admin doing give it to John because he'll get it done yeah and it was I've been there about a month or two and um, uh, the, the council was doing two things the first thing was that they outsourced their IT to, to Serco um, and basically what that entailed was every department had used to have its own sort of IT support and either these guys had left or they transferred to, to, to Serco and basically what used to happen was um, you had a problem with something you'd go see your mate in IT help who just sat down the corridor and he'd fix it for you like the IT crowd yeah well yeah but then when Serco took over and we all know about Serco being in the military how they get their hands on stuff and lock it up you had to call a central number you had to phone somebody somewhere that I think was in Birmingham and log a call to get yeah. something fixed in, 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 in Bradford so I some of the stuff that they needed fixing which was just like simple stuff like you know password resets I think is the most common thing or syncing a mobile device to their to, to their PC yeah. I just started to, to, to do for them um, so I got a bit known to be able to sort of help out um, IT wise um, and then we started then they uh, I'd been there about a month or two and they were uh, introducing SAP or SAP or whatever you call it and um they needed somebody to help the transition in the department do the SAP, basically a spare set of hands that the managers could say, this is what we need to do, this is what we need to get out of it. Yeah. And, and I did it. I helped the whole department transition to, uh, to, to, to SAP. And a lot of the stuff that I did was I'd go round teams uh, and just ask them how they did things. How do you currently do it? How are we going to do it in SAP? And they go, well, how do you do it? And you'd ask one person, they'd tell you how it was done. And then you'd ask another person the same process and they'd tell you a completely different way of how it was done. It was yeah. like, well, hang on. So, bizarrely, when, when I was at Dartmouth, when I was in the Navy, we'd been taught how to do business process mapping for stuff. I don't know why, but we'd been taught it. So I remembered all this. So I started to business process map out stuff and say, right, this is your current process. Look how inefficient it is. It's like three people who are doing the same job doing it in mm. three completely different ways we can't take that into SAP we need to standardise it so I started doing all you can call it business process re-engineering or whatever you want uh, but doing all that so that we could transition to, to, to SAP to try and streamline their, their, their processes and um, 
I was earning what maybe maybe less than 20 grand a year doing that and somebody said to me uh, uh, you know forgive me if I sound a bit arrogant they said they were like John there's, there's two guys who are meant to be doing this in each department who are earning 60 grand a year and they haven't got a clue how to do this yeah and you know I then started to to to, to look at sort of other IT systems that, that we had, we had a, uh, a, an IT system that they'd never used to full effect. They basically used to log the jobs that they needed to do coming in, but they didn't realise that they could, you know, do like automated uh, uh, customer surveys. So you fell into the project. So I started f- filling into doing this, going, "Hey, do you know this application that you've got? You can you can link it up like this, and we can then connect it to 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 to, to SAP, and these two applications can talk together. Yeah. And I'm your spare set of hands, so why don't you let me do that? Um, and then we brought in a mapping tool. This was before Google Maps had taken off, so we brought in ArcGIS. Again, maps were straight up my street. I've been doing charts in the in the navy so just to do you know not not sea maps but land yeah. maps and um, i was all over that i was like well you know this this is you know i know how to do this um so um environmental services i said well pest control guys we go out and we deal with rats we clear we clear rats does anybody plot these on a on a map what do you mean well does anybody think that we might be going to the same street loads and loads of times and we could build up a picture what do you mean by build up a picture right well I've built you up a picture and I'm going to tell you where your next pest control calls are before they even come in they're going to be at these addresses on this street how do you know that I think I said well I think we need to talk to the guys in sewerage and we need to get them talking to the pest control guys because I think the drains are broken in this street and the rats are getting into the houses mm. and they're working their way down the street because you go and start at the top of the street and you put, um, oh, I can't remember, what is it? It's uh, warfarin. You go put warfarin and it clears the rats out of one house. They just move into the, into the basement of the next house because in Bradford you've got big old Victorian townhouses yeah. that have got big damp cellars stuff is moving down we can make our process more efficient by rather than just reacting we can be proactive and we can either fix the sewers or we can bait further down the street or whatever you want to do and that was like pest control and then I looked at um, the other side of environmental um, health the, the waste management so you started to impress yeah, and make your mark yeah yeah so we had you know the little street sweepers you know that you t- see the tiny little street sweepers that, 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 that go out mm-hmm. and uh, there's like one man sat in his little cockpit and he's, he's, he's sweeping the street and those guys were going out and in Bradford they were just going out and just cleaning the streets that they knew <laughs> so some streets would be sparkling just because they the knew cent- the, the, the centre of town near the depot and the streets that they knew and the street where their mum lived or their mates lived or where they lived would be sparkling um, and then that would be it. It'd be the rest of it. And so we brought in this route mapping software. And, and what we needed to do was rather than these guys just going off and doing what we wanted, we would put maps in and we say, right, we go clean this bit. And I'm like thinking, this is like mine hunting. Because the other thing you've got to remember with these little guys is they've got water in and they also collect rubbish. They need water to spray down and they've got to collect up rubbish. Eventually, they'll run out of water, they'll run out of fuel, and their waste will be full up. And also, they've got to stop and have a break. Well, that was a bit like mine hunting. We would go out, we'd sweep some area, we'd find some mines, we'd pick them up, the dummy practice mines, we'd stick them on the back, and then we'd have to transport those back to um, 
the mothership or whatever it was. Yeah. And this was all like, well, I've done this in the Navy. So it was all transferable. So it was all transferable so skills. Where did you move on from there then? So, yeah, sorry, I'm rabbiting on. So then that got me into sort of IT projects. Um, and then I was at um, some West Yorkshire... Um, somebody said, oh, you should go to... Um, no, I tell a lie. I applied for a job because I was doing this. I got told to apply for a... Um, a project support officer's job for a big waste management procurement project that was coming in and they said you'd be ideal and I didn't get the job and I got some feedback about it and they said well it, it, you didn't have Prince 2 qualification I was mm-hmm. like what's that yeah. um, and um, but we weren't too bothered about that but um they, they sort of said in, in the nicest possible way they basically said you waffled in, in, in the interview so I, I had a look at it, what I'd waffled about and I realised that like in the Navy where we've got our own jack speak in project management there is project management speak. different language yeah you need to be able to talk about you know a business case benefits management plan risk uh, management yeah risk management stakeholder analysis stakeholder management what's your communications plan all of this stuff so um I took a bit of a risk and thought, right, well, if I'm not going to get... I've missed out on this job. And I'd looked through a Prince... I then started to look through Prince 2 and I thought, I could do all of this. And I took a gamble and I bought a Prince 2 foundation course on my credit card and went and did a a, a Prince, Prince 2 foundation course. And basically what it did for me was just give me the jargon that I needed to put on my CV. Yeah, it formalises it, doesn't it? Yeah. Formalises it. Yeah, so um, I could then talk about, you know, from the Navy, if we were going to do a port visit, I didn't write letters to people in port visits. I did a stakeholder management plan of who was going to be impacted. So people resupplying the the, the ship, people who we were going to visit, organising the cock and arse party, all of that sort of stuff started to then turn that into 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 project management management speak, speak. Um, and it went from there and I tell you I'd been sending out CVs and getting no response before that I put some project project management speak in my CV I put that I had Prince 2 qualification on it I sent my CV out that was it call straight away Mm-hmm. people would start to, 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 to respond for me and it, and it went from there and at that point after that I went to there was like a West Yorkshire pro- local authorities project meetup. Um I went to that um, uh, so all Leeds City Council were there um, I'm, I'm from Leeds I got talking to people there they said they had jobs coming up I applied for a job there I knew all the lingo didn't have any experience well I did have a bit of experience yeah. but I knew that I knew the lingo um, uh, uh, and got an interview and went to work in the project assurance unit at Leeds City Council uh, with a guy called uh, Nigel Street who I'm still friends with to this day he came to my wedding I still meet up with him once a year um, and Nigel was a great guy still is a great guy um, he basically uh, was the head of the project assurance unit for Leeds City Council every project except IT long story politics. <laughs> it was good fun Every every project in Leeds City Council, he would have oversight of at some point, and I got to have that oversight, and I got to see every single type of project, business change, civil engineering, social work, the whole range of uh, uh, of projects. Um, 
and then started to come across different project management methodologies and it all because you changed the language changed the language in my cv that was yeah. it and this basically boils down to it is you've got to make sure you use the lingo for the job you're applying you're, for. you're applying for um uh and then um yeah i i i found these books on his shelf that were apm I said, well, what's what's APM, Association for Project Management, it turned out to be. He said, oh, yeah, that was a course I did up a few years ago, just up at, at Leeds Met University over the road. He said, it was quite interesting. It's, you know, worth worth, worth a go. So, um, again, self-funded it. Um, I asked them if they'd pay for it. At the time, I was only on a one-year contract with Leeds City Council, and, and they got a bit funny about training people that weren't permanent. So um, I went and self-funded it, um, funded it and did it and it was brilliant so suddenly I've got this Prince 2 lingo down I now suddenly got all the APM lingo and was building up um, yeah. this 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 knowledge um, and yeah got did my APM qualification um, uh, and was working at, at, at Leeds City Council and was quite happy there but my girlfriend at the time um, she was from down down south she was from from Hampshire um, and she had been working for the Home Office in Leeds and got seconded to the Foreign Office down in London. And she wanted to move down there because she liked being in London. She, she was uh, really, really enjoyed it. Um, so I applied for jobs in London. And I remember I would apply for, I, you know, when I was in Leeds and stuff like that, I was uh, always applying for, for jobs because, like I said, I was on a, just a 12-month contract at Leeds. So I needed to get a new um, a new job, but it, in the end, it turned out that they, they made my contract permanent. Um, but I would apply maybe for, 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 10, for 10 jobs or something like that because Leeds is a big, you know, financial centre and, and, mm. and, and stuff, so there are plenty of jobs there. And I would maybe get one or two um, responses back, maybe one saying, no, thanks, and maybe one saying... Come, come for an interview or some something like that. And um, I applied for three jobs in London. Um, I got three interviews. Um, I got offered two two of the jobs. Um, and I think going somewhere like London, um, the reason why I got those jobs because they were jobs in the two of them were jobs in the civil service. One was with the local authority. This this is probably maybe what I should have done when I left the Navy was not 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 go back to Leeds but go to London because the jobs were so abundant yeah I went into um, this interview the guy that interviewed me although it was for the cabinet office the guy that was interviewing me was on secondment from the MOD first question you know within about five minutes of the interview he's asking me about Thursday wars yeah you know, he, he knew he'd been on a warship. He knew what he'd worked in in central uh, in main building, MOD main building. He'd worked with naval officers. He'd worked with it. He just knew. He knew it. You know, um, the reason why he brought me in is like, well, you know, you, you turn up on time. You're all well presented. You, you can organise yourself. So why would we not want to want to see you? Yeah. And and that was a. Uh, I remember. Um, <laughs> I remember that day very well because it was pissing it down in London. It was absolutely pouring it down. I had two job interviews that day. I'd one at the cabinet office. I had one at the treasury, um, and I got the uh, went to the cabinet office one, and I had to kill a few hours. Um, I walked around St James's Park, sat in a cafe, and about twenty minutes, just as I was walking to the treasury building, I got a missed call from the the, the cabinet office. Mm. So I called them back. They offered me the job. 
on the spot. So I went into the HM Treasury interview. I could have put my feet on the table. <laughs> I was that laid back. They offered me that job as well. I've never had that before in my life. Never. But it was just... I don't know I'd built up the, 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 the terminology that I needed for project management speak I'd got a bit of the experience um, and then such simple things it, it was and if I'd have known this at the time um, it, it would have made my life a lot easier um, I probably wasted maybe two two years mm. uh, of, of just doing the wrong things from lack of advice or not knowing so yeah, so then I was back to earning, you know, not everything in life is about, about money, but um, I was back to earning a comparable wage to what I would have been, because by that point, if I'd have still been in the Navy, I'd have probably been a, a senior lieutenant earning 40 grand, yeah. which is what I got in the, in the civil service, plus a good pension yeah. uh, as well. Um, uh, and yeah, and then it went from there, and then, you know... Delivering a Prince Two project, and then gradually, because it was software related, over time we tran- we transitioned that to Agile. And then I got into doing Agile and being a being being, being a Scrum master. But but the one thing that I I, I did do, um, a, a mate of mine, and going back to what we just said about it being the getting your language right in your CV, mm. and just um, a, a friend of mine, uh, Aussie Mike, uh, left. The, the Navy as well and he got a project management job and um, I he still owes me a beer for this I don't know if you're going to listen to this Mike at your house in, in Brisbane um, but um, I basically on a Skype call to him basically told him the whole lingo that he needed to change in his CV to get uh, a, a, a job um, and obviously some of it's his own hard graft but I like to think I got him over that first hurdle into a project management job because I basically told him if you've been a warfare officer in the Navy this is how we can convert what we talk about into um, business speak because who knew that the fuel distance run time graph that a navigator would run is basically in project management uh, earned value management it's the same thing it's exactly the same thing uh, and stuff like that the stuff that you do that you just don't don't realise we all have communications plans projects have communications plans you've just got to remember that you're not it's slightly different we all have stakeholders we all have customers uh, it's just putting all of that we all do risk management it's just putting that into something that is palatable for um, uh, for, for for civvies in in, in Civvy Street. Yeah. And, you know, I struggled maybe for down maybe due to my own stubbornness, ignorance, lack of not reading stuff. Maybe I I, I don't know, um, but I, I got here in in the end. And again, like I said, money's not the be all and end all, but. Um, aside from the pension which you're never going to get the same armed forces pension um, if I was still in the Navy now I, I would probably be a lieutenant commander I don't think I would be that crap to still be a lieutenant although it, it's not without possibility I reckon I would be a lieutenant commander and I earn now the same as what a lieutenant commander on sort of mid-seniority yeah. level would would, would, would earn um, so wage wise don't feel put out um, 
it's just a bit yeah. of patience, isn't it? And it think. is. It takes it takes a while to, to 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 get there, and you know you're competing against a lot of good people. Sometimes it was certainly frustrating in the early days where I would work with project managers who were just so disorganised, and you just wondered. You got really frustrated that they were getting paid you know, 10 grand more than you and had the word manager in their job title. Yeah, I, I, I got that yeah. when, early on when I when I left. But we're going to have to wrap this up because we have got work to be getting yeah. back on with. Um, yeah. But I think the, the three main points about um, transferring the language into your CV can be a major factor. Patience, you know, it's taken you, what, 12 years to get to where you are now? like over yeah. you know over peaks and troughs and like I said earlier in the conversation John didn't have you know the advantages and the tools available or the resources maybe he had some and you know like he's he was very, very honest in saying he didn't utilise some of them but it doesn't compare to what the guys and girls have got available now so this is a story from you know 12 years ago like I said just take advantage of everything you can network and most importantly be patient uh, John I appreciate your honesty it's yeah very, thank very you. insightful yeah um, yeah thanks for your time buddy not a problem thanks Jack thank you